everyone and welcome to the second episode in our How to Write mini-series. If you haven't already listened, do check out our first episode with Tyson Seaburn, who spoke about writing inclusive materials. In today's episode, I'm so excited to be speaking to someone whose work I've personally admired for a long time, and the author of ELT Teacher to Writers How to Write Primary Materials, Catherine Billsborough. Hi Kath, how are you? Hello Billy, I'm very well thanks. Good. Good to meet you. Yeah, Good nice to, to meet you. you too. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and to chat to us today. My pleasure. It's really nice to do a bit of socialising. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It doesn't happen very often when you work from home. Um, so let's get started with hearing a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name's Catherine Billsborough and I'm more or less a 100% freelance writer these days. So I do do some teacher training and I do also do some voluntary teaching. And I've been living in Spain for, well, since 1987. Mm -hmm. I came over for a year after doing my prep cert. And obviously things went well because I'm still here. And at the moment I live in, in the north of Spain in a little village in the mountains very quiet, working from home, and that's about it, really. I've been teaching, obviously, for a long time, and I think it's important, if you write materials, to continue to teach. Definitely. In some, yeah, in some capacity. It doesn't have to be a regular classroom. It can be a a couple of one-off sessions. It can be teacher training. It can be something in your community. But that's something I've learned. Yeah, I've had a couple of periods when I haven't been teaching. And I've noticed the difference in, I don't know about the quality of my work, but I think that when you're in contact with, uh, when you're actually teaching, you you get, you're always, you keep being aware of new things and reminded reminded of things that you might have forgotten yeah and I guess you like if you just write materials all the time and you don't really come face to face with the students that are using it you sort of lose sight in a way of maybe what's happening like with students because things are changing so quickly as well maybe things that worked or things that we discussed before maybe they've changed now so so do you teach online sometimes or do you teach face to face or is it just a couple of classes here and there both of those things um during that's an interesting question actually because when people started teaching more online before the pandemic Mm -hmm. um and I hadn't really done a lot of teaching online except for doing some webinars and a couple of teacher training courses and when I started thinking about materials that would be used for online teaching I realized that I hadn't taught a class of children, for example, online. So I set one up um, and I realized at that moment how over ambitious I might have been in some of the suggestions I was making in my materials and how, yeah, how I had to sort of step back a little bit and slow down a little bit and how it's a total different ball game. And I also realized what an amazing job teachers have been doing in the pandemic having large classes sometimes and all kinds of tech issues um it was quite humbling actually 
So I've, I'm continuing. I've got one small group of children that I continue to teach online. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great because now I've got my head around it and it's helped me with writing because one thing that's changed in terms of writing these days is that very often we have to um, consider how the materials might work um, as digital materials or online context, whereas before there was much less of that. True. So I can imagine it's very, very hard to teach a group of young learners or primary learners online. Is that what you were doing? Were they that age group? Yeah, I had a bit of a a mixed age bunch, actually, because it's local kids who... So the youngest I've had was five, but mm-hmm. the oldest was something, was about 15. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, yeah. But they kind of helped each other and supported each other. And sometimes the younger ones had ideas that were able to help the older ones because mm-hmm. they'd had more support themselves and they were able to then teach the others what they'd learned in terms of, how to go about doing something or um which was you know it was a yeah no it's it's great fun great so today we're talking about um primary materials so what sort of age group when we're referring to primary um perhaps young learners as well like what sort of age group is that and then how might that differ from writing for teens and adults okay so primary starts at five years old okay um in some countries, the child might all be four mm-hmm. and, and about to about to turn five, or mm-hmm. but they start. It's basically five, and then it goes up to eleven or twelve again, depending on the country, really. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the major things that you need to know about primary, because obviously, a five and five and six year olds are hugely different from 10 and 11 year olds 12 year olds because um you know there's not all primary students are the same so the the progress if you like from primary one up to primary six which is what we usually we usually work in six levels um is immense Mm -hmm. so the the main difference from writing for primary rather than teenagers or adults and it's the same when it comes to teaching really is that we have to be aware of the children's cognitive development um mm-hmm. so in the early years especially we can't just expect them to do the same kind of things as we might expect teenagers to do so for example they will be learning at the same time how to write, how to read, um, how to hold a pencil. Yeah. True, so, yeah. so the early, the earlier years, especially, the materials need to be um, very, very much brought into line with their development um, in terms of you know human beings. So oh, that's yeah. the biggest the biggest thing um also their their worlds are a lot smaller mm-hmm. so you might be able to talk you know write materials for teenagers where you are getting them to think about things that are in a 
larger global context. Mm -hmm. But with primary children, their world is usually their home, Mm -hmm. their classroom, possibly their town or or just their street. Yes, they they don't have that um, idea about the big wide world in the same way. Obviously, as they get older, um, they start to understand that those concepts you have space spatial concepts and um so that's that's another thing and i think as well we need to keep in mind i mean teacher teachers of primary children are caregivers Mm -hmm. as they're not only teaching the language they're they're looking after the well-being of the child in the classroom so that comes through in materials sometimes so when we talk we might write some materials um that need some teacher support where we can say how to go about actually managing the children. I mean, I know we have classroom management, you know, right the way through, but with children, you can't assume, I would say, assume nothing when it comes to to children. Um, One one big mistake I made, um, for example, when I was teaching primary for the first time and creating my own own materials I decided to do something crafty because they love art and crafts and projects and making things and so I I we did a, a simple craft mm-hmm. and it, it was it was they were like little boxes that had um it, it was like a fish tank built made from a little box basically where they had to use different vocabulary, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I made the mis- I made the huge mistake of thinking it was a good idea to get them to do this in pairs. And of course, I didn't realise, I didn't really think it through because there were there were lots of tears at the end of it all because they all wanted to take them home. Oh, that's true. Yes, yeah. And even when it came to, you know, well, you have it for a week and then bring it back and then that, you know, they want the everyone wanted to be first, and I think we got rounded by having a kind of classroom display and inviting the parents in. But that was somebody, <laughs> my senior teacher, saying like, "You've really, you know, done something uh, silly there." So there's that whole thing that they're very me, me, me orientated. Yeah. That's something. With all that, the materials. Yeah. Yeah, that, you wouldn't think of no, it. No, not you? at all. Because you know. in ELT, generally, you want students to work in pairs and groups. You encourage collaborative learning. But I guess with primary learners, it's completely different. Yeah, you'd have to consider that. Yeah, they they it, pair working. I mean, I love. I'm a huge fan of pair working in every context um, where it's possible. Um, but with children, you really do have to think very carefully about how you're setting it up and how you make sure that whatever you do is weighted equally so yeah. you might do the same activity twice just to let them exchange roles um, yeah. because they'll even if you think it's all fair they'll come a point where they'll say that's not fair and mm-hmm. they and they'll tell you so the the materials right needs to be I suppose, putting themselves in the shoes of those children as much as possible and preempting potential problems. Because a lot of the materials that we write get used by inexperienced teachers. Mm-hmm. 
new new teachers yeah. so we need there needs to be as much support as possible within the materials and you know we, we need to keep I always say you know we need to keep the end users in mind and that is the children but also the teachers who are going to be using these materials of course but yeah, yeah they're, they're the big um the big differences and values as well um values is a big it, values has always existed, I think, in materials, for, especially for this age group. We've called them different things um, over the years, but we need to make sure that we're also building in opportunities for things like learning how to share, how to True. show empathy, mm-hmm. how to show tolerance, um, basic things, but things that can come through the materials and help develop the child in those ways and if a materials writer specifically rather than a teacher creating materials if a materials writer was writing for primary would they be briefed in like beforehand that they would have to include those things or would that be something that the writer would have to consider themselves if you were writing materials for a publisher then they would build they they would have a list Mm -hmm. Um, it would be part of the scope and sequence document, which is the document that you you write before you write the course. Mm. So you, it's like a big table with the numbers of units, the topics, the themes, the vocabulary, the grammar, maybe phonics, maybe depending on the course, different things go into that document. And one of them will be a list of those values because especially in recent years there's been a move towards having some having them on the page of the children's books mm-hmm. um of the class book not only as part of the teacher's book if you like so that the children read them or see a picture and react um and it's much more explicitly a part of the it's a selling point as well because a lot of curriculums around the world um have realized that this is a a vital part of their children's education and they get put into other subjects materials as well mm-hmm. it's not only english yeah. yeah so somebody teaching um pe for example they if they have materials or science whatever they'll have these these values yeah. within their um, and and there's there's a long list of them. They they there are lists of them that publishers come up with, and basically they're common sense. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. how to be a good a good human being, how to be a citizen, how to live with others, you know, look after your your belongings, respect other people, this kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. Um, just touching on what you said, what we were talking about earlier with the difference between writing for primary and writing sort of older materials. I guess with primary materials as well, <laughs> with with adults, there's sort of a one size fits all approach, I guess. It's like this is an adult ELT book. We don't sort of put them into age groups. With primary, I guess it's different, isn't it? Because you would have those different stages. I think you said six levels. So what are sort of the groups that they that they put the ages together in? Would it be sort of four, five, six-year-olds all together? Um, there are differences in different countries. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Spain, where I am, um, traditionally they've looked at 
the age groups in terms of two years at a time. Okay. So so cycles, so one and two, three and four, five and six. Mm -hmm. And then within that one and two, there will also be a pro you know, a progress, a development. Um, but it, it depends a little bit. There are if you look at the because the, the problem of course with English or the challenge I should say is that we need to look at the age mm -hmm. level and then we need to look at the language level. So you might find, I mean, in theory, mostly the lower the age, the lower the language level. Yeah. So yeah. we start off at a, a pre A1, if you like, mm -hmm. um, looking at the common European framework, which is usually the reference we use. Um, but they, sometimes we have a situation where the language level is lower than the, you know, it depends on the country. So sometimes some children in some countries might have been learning English in preschool or infant school, mm -hmm. for example. So they've already got a basis or some private schools might be having more hours of English. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is another big difference. So, um, it's, it's not usually one size fits all, um, as you say. So what usually happens in terms of publishing is that I think there's a growing trend to create course books that are specific for a particular region or a particular country. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't mean to say that um, that book can't be used somewhere else and maybe tweaked. Yeah. We do a lot of tweak. We do a lot of tweaking uh, these these years. I mean, what we tend to do is write one book uh, for one market, and then bring out a different version for another market, where we either simplify the level, lower the level, reduce the content, add content, and increase the level. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, work after writing one course. In, in creating these other courses, which will be for other other markets. So okay. it's, and even even within a class, I mean, one of the big things that I'm um, an advocate of, and I think all primary, uh, primary people I know, if you like, writers or teachers are, are um, offering choice. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing about choice theory and even the illusion of choice sometimes, but, so I always build that into my materials mm -hmm. so that teachers can, even though I've got an idea in my head of what this class is going to look like, they might be in, in one context, maybe more than half of the class have some kind of um, extra issue that we need to take into account. So, so for example, uh, a task might be, you know, the end of, of a learning task might be in order to show the learning, we might say, you know, write a sentence, mm -hmm. but we could also then say, record yourself okay. saying a sentence yeah. or draw a picture to show that you've understood yeah. um, this particular. So providing choices also in terms of um, word count or something like that. So, you know, some children might be able to write whole sentences, some might not. So then we can give them a, you know, label something instead yeah. of write, there is a tree, they can just 
rightly in an error. So um, you can use, it's quite easy, I think, to use, you know, the same content and then to offer different levels, if you like, within that same content or extra challenge or extra support, we usually call it. Yeah, that's a really, really good idea, actually. Yeah, like you said, having having the outcome of the activity the same, but just providing different ways to do it, definitely. Um, so that's a really, really good piece of advice. Would you have any other advice for teachers creating their own primary materials or perhaps published materials writers when they're writing primary materials? Um, I think my biggest, most, I think the most important thing to bear in mind is to is that we should never speak down to children. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mostly we don't, those of us working in the in, in this, we, we don't, but we I do come across it and um, you know, if anything we should speak after them. We mm-hmm. would not speak down to them. And there's a there's a quote by a writer, I can't remember the name now, but it'll come to me. Um so we need to make sure that when they open the books or when they get their handout or whatever or look on the screen and see the materials they don't immediately think oh what that's babyish yeah or that Mm -hmm. yeah so so one key piece of advice is that if you are using an image in the materials and you should use images for primary materials because they they need I've never seen any good primary materials without images put it that way and these can be photographs or they can be illustrations they can be any kind of you know any kind of uh, image but if there are if there is if there are people in the image if there if there is a child in the image and and there usually is so usually for example if we're talking about um I don't know, clothes, Mm -hmm. there'll be a picture of a child dressed in whatever clothes vocabulary that's being taught. It's very important that that child is either the same age as the children using the materials or a bit older. Okay. A bit older is good. So if it's for five and six-year-olds, the child might be seven or eight. Or, you know, it's like an aspiration thing. It's, It's like... You know, can you imagine, I, it, you know, if you're seven and you open a book and there are pictures of five-year-olds, yeah. you think, oh, this is this is baby stuff. So that's really, um, really important to, to keep in mind. That's um, a really good point, yeah. And then I think with, I mean, children are naturally curious anyway. So to not tap into that would be foolish, yeah? Um, and they like playing with words they like puzzles they like um working things out and and then feeling that kind of um satisfaction with with having arrived at a conclusion through some visual clues or whatever so they like drama they like music they like writing for write you know i think when you write materials for children you should imagine I always, when I start writing, imagine myself in the classroom with the children and I think to myself, how would I teach this? How mm-hmm. would I practice this? Yeah. How would I recycle this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what might be fun here? How could I add some humour? How could I make this engaging? Uh, and actually, 
I actually, you know, do imagine it really. And, and that's when you, I mean, if you've got a class, obviously you can try things out. And, yeah. and I would, I would say if you haven't got a class, um, I don't know many or any teachers who wouldn't be happy to invite somebody into their classroom to to give a, a lesson for 30 minutes or whatever to try some True. stuff out or, or ask people, you know, can you try out these materials and let me know if there's anything I've missed or got wrong. Yeah, um, that's quite good, isn't it? Because then you can see, like, you might think something works, but then it's also how another teacher would pick it up and use it for themselves as well. Yeah. And also teachers, um, I've had some of my very best ideas for writing from teachers mm -hmm. who are in the classroom who've who've said, Oh, we could do this. So I remember I remember once um some years back I visited a school in Barcelona where they were trialing some of our materials for a book and um they were doing what they had a particular unit they were doing and then afterwards I was speaking with the teachers uh, and one of them said something that she was doing after this um, you know this after using the class book and the workbook she was doing this particular thing with with I thought that why didn't I think of that it yeah. was such an obvious thing to be doing um, basically what she was doing was the, the it was all about what's in my school bag. Okay. Yeah, it was teach, nice. teaching class, classroom objects, etc., etc. Um, there was a whole thing about um, uh, at the time going on in Spain, and it might have been happening in other countries that complaints by parents because their children's school bags were so heavy with so many books. Oh, gosh. Um, and what she was doing, she was going through all this with the the materials and teaching them the you know what all the vocabulary and it was I've got I haven't got that was the the language and then what she was doing afterwards she was actually weighing the school bags and putting them in order from the heaviest to the lightest and it was just such a fun <laughs> thing to do because the children loved it and they, it was just an extra add-on if you like that so oh, that, that's just one tiny example of where teacher, you know, the, teachers, the, they've got loads of things up their sleeves that, Definitely. you know, we, there should be more collaboration, I think, between teachers and materials writers. Well, I think all teachers are materials writers anyway. I always yeah, say course. that. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know a teacher who doesn't create something for their own classes, but there should be or they could be, it would be nice if there was more interaction and sharing sharing of ideas and yeah, of questions yeah so a lot of the activities that we're sort of discussing are quite physical activities they get the learners up moving around perhaps yeah using some realia in the classroom as well but sometimes they might be sort of like not a heads down approach but they might have to try and write a word or something are there any activities you think work particularly well with that process in mind oh yeah definitely um so there are some typical activities that work well so for example after a re you know when when children are starting to get little texts um so they start reading then things like odd one out is quite a good one so you might have a little text about 
somebody's daily routines, for mm -hmm. example. And then the odd one out might be, you know, things like images of activities that come up in the, I'm just thinking off the top of my head now, but an odd one out comprehension is a good one because it can be, they can be pictures or they can be words yeah. or they can be, yeah, things like that, ordering as well. Okay. There are a lot of, lot of tasks like ordering, classifying, categorizing, uh, where the children need to think about the meaning of the word mm -hmm. and then how it relates to something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. I think we're always trying to relate things to, to something else um, because that's how they learn and remember. So ordering things, classifying things. And I there's a great activity that I've done with children and which I've put into books where they classify a group of objects mm -hmm. any way they like and there's no right or wrong answer okay just to see how as, how they would categorize just, and what yeah, they associate yeah yeah and then and then they justify it yeah mm -hmm. so yes. it it might be something simple so they might classify according to color or according to topic yeah or according to how many letters Mm -hmm. in the word yeah so if it's a three you know so cat and egg would be in the same group because they have three letters yeah. but they might be in separate groups for somebody else because mm -hmm. it's an animal and something to eat so i i think like word puzzles and play um is really important and then i think on the page again when 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 the children are using you know heads down as you said is there needs to be the right amount of support on the page. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that if you're writing materials for your own classes and they're for primary, I would say that you should always have either a model or an example answer okay. for everything because one child will get it, you know, it, well, adults do the same actually, but you might write instructions on the board, you might explain somebody's distracted they're not listening whatever it needs to be on the page so that they've got a reference they've got support you know we're not we're not testing them we're, yeah. we're trying we're trying to get them to visually see how the language works we use a lot of color coding mm -hmm. um so we might have if we're teaching a grammar point it's a good idea to have some example sentences on the page mm -hmm. with the key parts of the sentence highlighted in some way so we use color okay. um, or circle things and then we can teach it by replacing keywords yeah so if, if so for example if it's i like eggs i don't like bread um we can highlight the eggs and bread so that we can show that they can be removed okay and yeah. they can be changed yeah so it's it's um I think we need to think of their senses there that make it really kind of holistic and, you know, and not just, you know, here's a text and, you know, yeah, rhyme, rhymes, songs, chants, all this kind of thing, playing with the sound. It's Great. that's how children learn. I, w I mean, one piece of advice that I would give to anybody writing primary materials would be get access to some children. 
people, you know, <laughs> if they might be your neighbors, they might be yours, they might be in the school, they might be, you know, just watch them, observe them, talk to them, see what they're doing. Um, I, I think um, I, I was once given a pre- presentation at a conference in Malta a mm-hmm. few years back, and I was speaking kind of spontaneously, um, and somebody I didn't realize I'd said it, but somebody tweeted something I'd said, and it's come around a few times now. And I, um, I've, I've seen, I've been quoted as saying it. And and what I said was, um, if you teach children and you're not surprised on a daily basis, then you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I maintain that, you know, every yeah. time I talk to children to see what well, you know what you're doing what you got there and they make me you know they they surprise me and I think Definitely. oh gosh yeah and and just just yeah interact with children or what or, or watch some children's tv read some children's storybooks picture books um try and get into their heads because we make assumptions yes, adults as a, as a general rule we yeah, think oh yeah, children are going to like that, that, and then and then they don't because that's not what they yeah like. Definitely, especially if you haven't been like you said around children for a long time. When I first started teaching, I only taught primary learners, and we used to do um, it was summer camps mostly, but we used to do like song circles and dancing and singing and acting and fashion shows and all these things. And because I haven't done that for so long, I think that's why now. I would find it very hard to get back in that headspace because that was maybe six, seven years ago. And yeah, things have changed so much, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah you definitely have to spend time with the, the people that you're writing the materials for. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think sometimes it's quite good to create a narrative within a lesson as well, particularly for the younger primary learners so that they can follow it through and sort of feel engaged with the characters on the page? Oh gosh, yeah, and storytelling and and the whole. I mean, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. The key though is to find a, a narrative, a story that will appeal to to all of the children. That's yeah. uh, But but there are there's a lot of fantastic work being done in in this. You know, with uh, so um, the picture book, the PE. P-E-P-E-L-T, Pepelt mm-hmm. uh, group, which is uh, Sandy Moreau, Gail Ellis, and a third person who I apologise doesn't come to me right away. But they've they've got a website and they've been um, doing a lot of work in uh, highlighting how we can use picture books, story books with children, activities, um, you know, taking on roles, rewriting engaging etc um yeah that it's brilliant that's uh, you know i think i mean all the course books that i've written um for primary have had stories uh running through them it's it's my favorite it's actually my favorite part of the process writing mm. the stories get as a, as a, as a writer it's um it's quite complex because you want a good story and you've got this language to use mm-hmm. and sometimes you've got sometimes if you're writing revision stories you've got two sets of language to use because the revision section might come after every second yeah. unit so mm-hmm. you might have two very different types of language yeah 
vocabulary and grammar and you have to marry those two mm -hmm. and put them into a story and make it credible and uh, make it a real story and make it fun and it's like I always describe it, it's like doing a huge jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces are everywhere <laughs> and, and, and there's a piece missing yeah. and then you have to try again and uh, and then when it works it's just a, it's just wonderful especially when you when you go well if for a publisher you come up with your story you write little sketches for what you want on the page and to see how much fits and then you send all that off and the editors do their work etc etc and then the illustrators work their magic mm -hmm. and it comes back and you think wow and that's when you know it's one of the most satisfying moments for a primary writer I think is when you see how your imagined pages especially with stories um are, you know come to life Definitely. yeah Absolutely. I, I've been actually I mean I've been almost in tears sometimes when I've seen you know I thought she, you know she's got it she's got my idea she's made it better she's you know the characters or all kinds of things it's it's really exciting when Definitely. that happens yeah so you mentioned um, one website just a moment ago, and we'll put a link up to that with the episode as well. But do you know of any other sort of perhaps teacher websites with good examples of primary materials or any other um, places where people can find some good primary materials to download? I think well, um, I think the British Council websites mm -hmm. for learning materials. So learning, teach, teaching English, British Council teaching English website. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I, I write materials for them sometimes, so I, but I'm not saying it because of that. I'm saying it because they have got quality assurance, if you like. There'll be yeah. nothing on that website mm -hmm. that is not good quality in terms. You know, you won't find any errors. You because there's a lot of stuff out there where, I you know, you think, oh gosh, you know, there's there's spelling mistakes or there's yeah, they're just things that are wrong. Um, so it's for consistently good stuff if you like the british council um website also they've got things if you write in if you go to the website you can do a search so you can do um primary materials and then you can do a search within the primary materials by topic mm -hmm. uh by grammar yes. etc and i would say that they're less what they do is they might have lesson plan with some worksheets mm -hmm. or, or or with something online. I mean, most of the stuff we've worked on recently have got both types of materials. So they've got the print materials that you print off or they've got digital materials. And they are a good model to follow, I think, if you are a new writer. Yeah. Um, because they've got, you know, we've, we always follow a kind of, um guide if you like i mean we, we might go off on you know a tangent sometimes but there'll be the material it, the whole way it's done is makes it easy mm -hmm. to, to copy and to mimic i mean it's not copyrighted in terms of you know the progress that is the sequence of activities if mm -hmm. you like and that's a great place to go and they've got flashcards stories songs um projects um all kinds of things yeah. that's that's a great place and it's free mm -hmm. okay so that's that's i should say that that's the most important thing for a lot of people yeah and then um a lot of the free sites 
that I've come across aren't consistent in that level of quality. So Mm -hmm. that for me is a problem because I don't like to recommend a site and then have a teacher maybe with a lowish level of English not realizing that something that they've taken and downloaded is actually flawed. So, you know, that's that's a problem. Um, ELT Songs uh, is a newish company and I've worked for them as well. But uh, there's a great team of workers uh, with them. What they're doing, they're, they're creating materials for primary, which are all based on songs. Okay. Um, and they're aligned with the uh, Young Learner exams for Cambridge. So... Right. You you know if your children are you know starter level, mover level, flyer level, whatever that the materials fall into those ranges. And Fiona Hunter, I saw some. I've seen some of her materials recently. Um, she's based in Spain too, and she creates huge packages of materials that go with stories. Okay. So she'll have a story. Sometimes it might be a traditional story you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears or whatever. Sometimes it might be a storybook that she's come across and thinks is good to use as a as a starting point. Yeah. And then she creates around that worksheets, projects, all kinds of things. And her, the quality of her stuff is, is top class. So right. I would recommend that. So that's three there. Definitely. Also, a lot of the writers, successful primary writers, uh, Carol Reed mm-hmm. is one of the people who, I mean, she taught me uh, years back and I've got every admiration for the work she does. So she's got a website too and she offers advice, you know, so if you Googled her name, you could find some of her materials to that she provides and shares sometimes. Maybe sometimes a good idea is to look at who are the key writers and key players Definitely, produce yeah. the materials and then see what they've got. The Young Learners, uh, YLT, Young Learners and Teenagers, SIG for IATEFL, mm-hmm. that's a good place to go on their Facebook page, for example, and ask for advice because they've got a really great team of volunteers. And I've no, I know that with, and the materials right in SIG for IATEFL as well, if you go to the Facebook group or whatever, and you ask a question, you'll get lots of people giving advice. So I think it's always good to, if you're looking for something, to ask in those places, then you'll get a recommendation and then you'll know that it's Definitely. something is, is good. And of course, your ELT teacher to write a book, How to Write Primary Materials as well. Yeah, exactly. Anybody who wanted to buy that. I think the best thing to do is actually... Two, two things either go to the ELT teacher to write a website yeah and and you've got a list of places you can buy it from or what I would probably do myself is google it to see which options come up in your in your area if you like because it might it's different you know depending on where you live if you're in Brazil or Uruguay mm-hmm. there might be options that are they aren't the same. Um, exactly. So we have a couple of listener questions. We've touched on one of them. One of them was how can we make primary materials engaging and age appropriate? But I think we've covered that. So um, yep. one that we do have is 
As a materials writer, do you need to specialise in writing primary materials or would you say it's possible to write primary some of the time and then maybe something like exam materials at other times? Um, I think this is a really good question, actually. I think that very few people specialise in one specific age group or um, if you're a very experienced and successful writer in one area like carol reed who we've just mentioned then she, she or everything she writes has a primary focus but mm-hmm. actually she, she's just started writing pre-primary and infants um but most of the writers i know and myself included we write materials for a whole range of age groups and i think it very much depends on our experience as teachers if you want to be a materials writer, there is nothing to stop you writing different types of materials. You don't need to have a niche, if you like. You you can. I think these days, though, you probably go into... If you want to work full-time in this field, you would probably have to write various kinds of, of writing. I, I've, I've written for adults for teenagers, for primary, I've written exam materials, I've written a course for oil and gas workers, Um, (laughs) yeah. And if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they uh, reach you or find out more about what you're doing as well? I've just started my very first uh, blog. I used to blog and still blog for other people, um, National Geographic, um, British Council, etc. But I've got my own blog now and website and it's called creating elt materials.com perfect so it's a i'm basically in that blog i'm writing about writing Mm -hmm. the idea is that it's to help teachers who want to write materials maybe other writers i'm having i'm kind of writing different series of blog posts so I write about my own week in writing and things I might learn along the way. I'm going to write a kind of A to Z of writing, if mm. you like. So, you know, A might be for accessibility or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great fun, actually, because I'm, well, if you've got your own blog, you can write what you like, can't you? <laughs> exactly. So it's uh yeah, I enjoy yeah. seeing your LinkedIn post, your daily LinkedIn post and the questions as well. I love reading sort of the input from the other teachers and writers as well, just because you feel as if it's like, I don't know about you, but when I go on LinkedIn in the morning, I feel like as if it's my sort of coffee break and you go on and you feel like you're socialising, even though it's just reading what other people are saying. And I find that on your post. So thank you for that. <laughs> I, I love I love it. Do you know, I used to hate LinkedIn. I used to think, oh, no, LinkedIn, it's not nice. It's you know it's not for me and then I thought I I need to embrace it so I've I look at it differently now and I love it now and I love the um so I get an idea you know at the moment I'm doing 10 quotes about creativity uh and one I had recently a question about you know which book would you recommend etc and it's brilliant because the what the the dialogue that comes afterwards if you like I'm just learning I've got a little post-its everywhere with books I need to (laughs) check up on or you know yeah it's yeah it's conversations definitely yeah it feels like a social space for for people working at home yeah it's it's yeah there are quite there are quite a few people who are who are 
I feel like as a writer, as a as a freelance writer, and I I don't go out to do much work or or any at the moment, but it's it's a way of having that connection and definitely um yeah. you know just just getting ideas and sharing experiences or having a moan sometimes yeah. you know so yeah. that's okay too yeah so yeah if anyone's what listening to this and you know please join us on linkedin and you know join in the conversation absolutely well thank you so much for your time and your expertise and for all the advice that you've given as well um, as I say, we'll put links to all of the websites you mentioned and also your Teacher to Writer book and your blog as well so people can access those. And, um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah, but thank you. Speak soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to our episode today. We'll be sharing the links Kath mentioned on our LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook pages, so make sure you're following us for those. It's E-L-T-C-P-D, all one word. In our next episode, we'll be speaking about how to write classroom materials. Thanks again for listening. Bye.